الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبولنا سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم عبد الله بن مسعود رضي الله عنه uh, he shares an incident which is very interesting and also teaches us some important lessons so in this incident it's a historical narration he says that there was once a monk and this monk worshiped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for 60 years in his hermitage or place that he had isolated himself 60 years of worship essentially in a place that he had isolated himself for worship subhanallah after 60 years a female approached him and he made the mistake of spending six nights with that female on the sixth night he became very very disturbed with himself and he ran from his hermitage and went to a masjid when he got to the masjid he didn't eat for 3 days because of his circumstance on the third day someone came and gave him a loaf of bread when he received the loaf of bread he broke it into half and gave half to the person on his right and gave half to the person on his left and subhanallah shortly thereafter allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took his life when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took his life he was judged and on one side of the scale was put his 60 years of worship in isolation on one side of the scale was put his 60 years of worship in isolation and on the other side of the scale was put the six nights that he made the mistake and subhanallah the six nights of mistake outweighed 60 years of worship 60 years of pure worship for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then the loaf of bread that he had broken in half 
was brought. And the loaf of bread that he broke in half was put on the side of his good deeds, and it outweighed the six nights that he made the mistake. So subhanAllah, this is the narration, now I'm speaking. Again, I, I was paraphrasing, by the way. Now I'm speaking, subhanAllah. There is so many lessons that a person can learn from this narration. Now, this is a, Abdul ibn Mas'ud is, is sharing this circumstance, but there's so many lessons that a person can learn from this uh, circumstance that he shared. First and foremost is how important it is to avoid sin. How important it is to avoid sin. Now think, this person worshipped for 60 years. What type of worship that must have been. And this person worshipped in, not just worshipping like you and me for 60 years, this person worshipped in a, you can essentially say like a Hanukkah or in some sort of isolated place where he could focus on his worship. 60 years he worshipped. How much good deeds the person must have earned, how much tasbihat, how much prayer, how much good deeds the person must have earned. But all of a sudden, he was tested with this woman who approached him, and in six nights, he destroyed 60 years worth of worship. And from this, one of the lessons that we learned, like I mentioned, there's lessons here. The first lesson that we learned is how important it is to avoid sin. In fact, I've said this many times and I'll repeat this, the battle of deen is not amassing tons and tons of good deeds. The battle in deen is avoiding sin. This is the one challenge that we all have to appreciate. Now, look, I mean, good deeds need to be done. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing good deeds. But the most important thing is to defend ourselves against sin. What I mean by most important is after the faraid. The faraid are inherently good. If somebody's following Islam, Islam is so powerful that if somebody's following Islam, it'll take them straight to Jannah. Even just the minimum of Islam, it'll take them, take them straight to Jannah. So the important thing to appreciate, however, is that with that minimum that a person performs, they have to avoid sin. Sin is a key challenge in our deen. So this is the first lesson that we learn from this circumstance. Now, by the way, this person did 60 years of good deed in this narration. This person did 60 years of good deeds and was doing such intense ibadah for 60 years. But you can see how he was tested. And you can see how even in the context of doing so much ibadah for so much time, the test was relatively simple in the sense that it's not some convoluted thing that happened. It's a relatively simple test. And, subhanAllah, he failed that test. So again, lesson number one, we have to do everything in our power to avoid sin. Remember that it's the mistakes that human beings make is what takes them from Jannah to earth in this circumstance that we find ourselves in. So we should be very, very particular. And this is what, I mean, people, we, we're always looking to uh, develop ourselves. 
when a person's looking at their own life and asking, how can I build myself Islamically? How can I improve my deen? How can I experience my deen? The battle doesn't lie in doing many, 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 many good deeds. The battle lies in avoiding sin. Because Islam inherently is loaded with good deeds. Person's praying five times a day, fasts in the month of Ramadan, goes for Hajj, pays zakah. These are all good deeds. These deeds are far sufficient to take a person to Jannah. Far sufficient. But of course, the problem is that these things get mixed with so much sin that they lose their effect. Now, the example that the story that I, I just shared it was extreme. 60 years of straight worship, and all of a sudden gets approached by a woman and then makes a mistake that knocks out his whole 60 years worth of worship. But it still shows that principle, which is that you can't mix sin with good. Sin will just very quickly destroy good. So first lesson. Second lesson. Second lesson is, subhanAllah, as I mentioned, or as the narration mentions, when the person made the mistake, he ran from his place. Notice, he was where? He was in a hermitage. He was in a place of worship. But when he made the mistake, he ran from his place and went to the masjid. So second lesson, how important changing an environment is when a person finds that they made a mistake. Think about it for a second. The same environment that he did 60 years straight of worship was the same environment that he made the mistake, correct? So he could have simply recognized his mistake and said to himself, okay, I make Toba, but I did 60 years of worship here, so let's do another years of worship over here. But no, he immediately recognized that he needs to run from that place and reset himself. So he went to the masjid. So second lesson is that when a person finds that they get caught in something that they shouldn't be caught in, whatever that might be, it's so important to change the environment to reset themselves. I've shared this example before, but it's worth repeating. All of you know, I've given it in lengthy detail before, and you hear it all the time. It's a commonly described situation in talks and khutbah and jummah, etc., of the individual who killed 99 people, kills the 100th person, seeks forgiveness. When he, goes to seek forg when he goes to get advice about how to seek forgiveness, he approaches um, uh, the, the pious person, and he says, is there forgiveness for me? And the answer is, yes, there is potential forgiveness for you, but you need to do what? You need to go to this other place. Specifically, you need to go to this other place, and when you go to this other place, you're going to find pious, righteous people, and it's in their company that you'll be able to make up for your mistake. So what happens? All of you are aware. He begins traveling towards this other city, and he dies halfway. And then the angels begin to battle. Does this person go to Jahannam? Does this person go to Jannah? The angels say, some angels say, he goes, look what this guy killed, 100 people. You kill 100 people, how can you end up in Jannah? Take him straight to Jahannam. Some of the angels say, it doesn't matter how many people he killed. He was seeking forgiveness. Now, what did they base their decision on? 
How do they decide where this person's going to end up? They measure the distance to what? They measure the distance to the new environment. If he's closer to the new environment, then he made a true tawbah. It didn't just say that he made tawbah. It wasn't that he went to the person and said, I seek forgiveness for my hundred murders, so therefore, you know, he should be forgiven. It should have been, I mean, if, if, if you just think about it theoretically on paper, you could say to yourself, well, wait a minute, he went, he sought forgiveness, that's it, he made, that's a tawbah, and he should be forgiven. But part of that tawbah, part of the, the, predi- the, the tawbah was predicated on what? On his moving to a new place. So that when the decision was made, or when the, we can say, when the situation was adjudicated between the angels, the adjudication was predicated upon what? The adjudication was predicated upon how close the person was to the new environment. If they truly were greater than 50% closer to the new environment, that was a complete tawbah. So this is the second lesson. Now I'm just using this as an example to highlight the same lesson which this monk is teaching us. Or this story of Abdullah ibn Masood, which the monk is reflecting what the monk did. The monk did 60 years of worship in a place. He made a mistake for six nights with a person whom he shouldn't have been interacting with. And then in order to rectify the situation, he leaves the place where he's doing 60 years of worship and goes to the masjid. So second lesson. First lesson, we cannot mix sin with good. We have to be very careful. We are already doing good. We are already coming to the masjid. We are already fasting Ramadan. We are already doing hajj and umrah and these types of deeds, these mandatory deeds in our deen, zakah, etc. We cannot mix evil with that good. Second lesson, where we find ourselves entrapped or entangled or even the potential threat of some sort of bad that will never mix well with our deen, we have to change our environments. And by the way, that requires a lot of wisdom because the nafs never wants to change the environment. The nafs will always say, okay, I messed up on the phone this time, I won't do it again. But we don't want to give up our phone, so we'll make a hundred excuses why we want to give the phone, although the same sin happens again the next day. So it's so important for a person to be honest with themselves. First, to identify that I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing. Second, to ask the question, why did it happen? Why is this happening? Why am I behaving this way? Why did I do that thing which is not consistent with whom I'm, who I'm trying to be? Why did, why did I engage with this person in the way that I shouldn't have? Why did I eat this that I shouldn't have? Why did I say this that I shouldn't have? And it's always going to be tied into environment. It's always going to be that we did it in a place or with a group, group of people or in a certain means and it'll be repetitive. Meaning that sin will be something that continuously occurs every time we're with those people or continuously occurs every time we're in that place or continually, continuously occurs every time that circumstance presents ourselves, presents itself. So that's the second, second lesson we learn from this circumstance, which is that We have to leave our environments when we find that we're caught up in something that is destroying our deeds. The third lesson, which is the final lesson here, is that this monk was so disgusted with themselves, himself, so disgusted with himself, that he, when he got to the masjid, he couldn't eat for three days. It's part of his tawbah, correct? 
Now, subhanAllah, someone sees that this person is basically starving, and think about it, you haven't eaten for three days, how starving the person must have been, and gives him a loaf of bread. Gives him a loaf of bread. But even in that circumstance, where it would be completely conceivable that he should eat the loaf of bread, he looks beyond himself, looks to the person on the right, looks to the person on the left, breaks the loaf of bread in half, gives half to the person on the right, half to the person on the left, and because of this one action, he's forgiven. Because of this one action, he's forgiven. Now, what's the lesson there? The lesson there is to show the power of concern for others. The lesson there is to show the power of concern for others. How much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves when a person has concern for others. And this is something that is consistent and just a component of, of, the, of our deen. I mean, it's something that has to be consistently within us if we truly want to attain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy, particularly given the fact that we continuously make mistakes. Look, I mean, again, it's another story that everybody's aware of, but I'll just very, very simply just highlight a point from it, which is that all of us know that there was a woman who was engaging in an activity that was just extremity of sin. Extremity of sin. But she happens to pass by a dog that's thirsty at the edge of a well. Of course, the dog cannot attain the water. She attains some water and gives it to the dog. And what happens? Even though she's involved in one of the most heinous acts, she is forgiven and goes to Jannah. Why? Because of the concern, not that she had it for a human being, the concern that she had for Allah's creation. I mean, that was a dog, that wasn't even a person. Yet that concern for another, even a dog, even just giving a sip of water, not like uh, some big act where, uh, you know, uh, uh, they went out and did something, you know, set up a whole orphanage or something. Just a simple act of having concern for someone else, looking beyond ourselves and having concern for someone else, how beloved that is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that that can lead to forgiveness. So, again, the third lesson from this circumstance is that you can't, we can't exist in a world where we don't care for others. We can't exist in a world that we don't, where we don't care for others. It can't be that all of our time is spent worrying about ourselves. We're worried about our success. We're worried about what we eat. We're worried about where we live. We're worried about what we wear. And by we, I mean ourselves. Ourselves and our family. Our family we care about because they're directly in front of us. But then beyond that, there's no concern. There's no concern for what the neighbor is wearing. And by neighbor, I mean the greater neighbor, because all of us, often, we live in very comfortable circumstances, and all the neighbors are comfortable, so we don't have those types of environments where, you know, everything is so, what do you call it, where you, everyone, you know, the wealthy are isolated in one neighborhood, and then everybody else is supposed to fend for themselves in another neighborhood. So what I mean by neighbor here, I mean greater neighbor, 
I mean, there's, we don't have that concern for the people that exist around us. And without that concern, mixing our good deeds with bad deeds may not suffice. It may not suffice on the scale, just like this person, 60 years, I mean, you would think 60 years of worship, such great worship, isolated in a place, 60 years, on one side of the scale, six nights of a mistake, leaving the mistake, feeling so bad about the mistake that you go to the masjid, feeling so bad in the masjid that you don't eat for three days, you would think that would have outweighed. That would have made up. That would have wiped away the mistake and let the 60 years of good deeds outweigh anything that happened. But no. When the 60 years of good deeds was weighed, it was not able to outweigh the six nights of mistake until what? Until that single loaf of bread was brought. One loaf of bread compared to 60 years. I mean, this was a six-second action. Think about it. How many seconds does it take to crack a loaf of bread and pass it on to one side and the other? And subhanAllah, the simple sharing of bread with one person and another, despite a person's own hunger, was sufficient to put this person into Jannah and allow him to earn forgiveness. So it can't be. I mean, you know, this is unfortunately the world that we exist in. We're so caught up in ourselves. By the way, this is a, just a deception of shaitan. I'm not saying it's, I mean, it's us. In the end, it's us because we get, we, we, we feed ourselves on this, you know. We feed ourselves on more, wanting more, we should have more, and then we justify it. But shaitan is trying to derail us at every step. So number one, he'll derail a person at doing good deeds. But if the person manages to be able to do good deeds, he'll derail the person in doing sin. And if the person manages to get derailed, if the person manages to, um, uh, you know, avoid sin or recognize they need to avoid sin, he'll derail the person in leaving the environment. And if the person is derailed from, it manages to leave the environment, he'll derail the person in thinking that they're all that matters. They don't have to worry about the world around them. This is the way shaitan works. I mean, this is like a few steps, few obvious steps, which repeatedly occur in the deen, by the way. These, these, you can find example after example after example in the deen that highlight these basic steps. And this is the way shaitan works. So there'll be righteous, pious people, righteous, pious people who are doing all of the, checking off most of the necessary boxes, but then you'll find that the concern for what's happening around them is completely missing. I'm blaming myself. I'm blaming, we're all to blame. We're all to blame. I mean, you know, a lot of times people come to me. I ask, I also do the same thing. You know, it comes down to, you know, we, need to, we, we say we need to feed the poor. We need to care for the neighbor. We need to take care of the hungry. We need to clothe the hungry. And then, you know, we, we always ask ourselves, okay, where are they? So the reason I'm not doing all this is because I don't know where they are. They, if I re, or I can't trust the people who are out there doing, you know, you never know when you give your money to someone who's really using it, how they're, how they're using it. But then the question is, I mean, did we, did we go and do the right research? Like, have we gone and identified? You're telling me they don't exist? They have to exist. But have we gone into the streets and looked? Have we gone to different places and tried to find those in need? I mean, honestly, if people came begging to us, then the complaint would be, these are beggars. We, they're not supposed to ask. Right? I mean, let's just say there were a bunch of beggars. Then the next excuse we would make in our head is that, you know, it's not good to beg in Islam. 
So this isn't the real opportunity. I need the real opportunity because I'm some real pious person, so give me some real opportunity to uh, help others. No, the whole point, honestly, the whole point is that we're supposed to go out and find these people because our need to give our wealth is more than their need for the wealth. Listen very carefully. Our need of the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us when we share our wealth is more than their need for the wealth. So what does that mean? It means it's on me. It's on me to go out there, on us, me, all of us, to go out there and find people. Find out who really is in need, what, are, what is the circumstance, how can I ensure that there's not hungry people around me? And there are hungry people around us. There are people in difficult circumstances. There are people in need. And honestly, let's just say that we couldn't completely for sure ascertain the need. Like I said, we're still in need. Aren't we in need of, of being able to share our wealth? I mean, we spend it on ourselves so lavishly. You know, there's no uh, thing that our families would desire except that we're going to get it. You know, we will stretch so far to make sure that what we, you know, everything that we want is taken care of. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll go online and we'll research for hours and hours and hours about what we're going to buy and what we're going to eat. And we'll go far distances to be able to find those things. But when it comes to spending the time to search who's actually not able to meet, make their ends meet, who actually is in need, we don't, we don't have that same energy. We don't have that same zeal. And by the way, this is all from shaitan. This is all from shaitan to not identify the needs of the neighbor. Now, yeah, again, like I said, everybody lives in a gated community. So you should look around you and say, my 40th neighbor is wealthy, my other 40th neighbor is wealthy, so what difference does it make? But that's not what we're referring to. Just because everybody's gated themselves up in a bunch of communities doesn't mean that you ignore all the people in the other communities. There are people in our community, they must exist, because it's the nature of human beings, right? What I mean by the nature of human beings, meaning that one of the scholars says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have, a beautiful statement by one of the scholars, I can't remember which one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, sorry, the scholar says, the scholar says Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have made everybody equal, meaning everybody could have been given the same wealth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have made everybody equal, everyone could have been given the same wealth. But he gave some extra and some less because he wanted to test both of them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have made it that everybody was given the wealth that they need to fulfill their needs. A just equal distribution of wealth. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave more to some and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave less to others because he wanted to test both. That's the nature of this world, correct? It's a test. A test is going to have questions. A test is going to be difficult. It can't, I mean, it's, it's, if, it's, if, a, if your children ask you, I hate school, why can't they just give everybody an A? Right? I mean, if a child says to you, I hate school, what's, these people are torturing me. My teachers torture me. Why can't they give everybody an A? You would say, it's not the job of the teacher to give everybody an A. It's a test. It's the job of the teacher to create a circumstance that will distinguish from A versus B versus C versus D versus F. In fact, any good teacher, they'll plot their grades of the class, right? And it should be a bell shape. There should be some A's, some B's, average grade is C, D, and there should be some F's. That's how you know that the test was created properly. If you create a test that's skewed to one side, everybody gets 100%, it's not a test. 
And if you create a test that everybody fails, it's not a test also. It ha there has to be a bell-shaped distribution which distinguishes one, one from the other. So is life. So is life a test. Now, people like to pat themselves on the back that, you know, I've been given this and I've been given that, but it's a test. It's not a blessing. It's not a blessing, it's a test. Blessings are in the Akhirah. Blessings are in the Akhirah. It's a test. Now, is it a blessing from, from a perspective? Sure. Alhamdulillah, Allah granted me something, so that's a blessing. But it's still a test. It's not, a, uh, it's not an indic. let me put it this way. It's not a reward. It's not a reward. Rewards are reserved for the hereafter. Rewards are reserved for the hereafter. So, subhanAllah, and the point that I'm trying to make is that this story that Abdullah bin Masood radiallahu anhi shares has three important lessons. Three important lessons. The first lesson, I mean more than three, but anyway, we can take out a few. A few important lessons. The first lesson is that we should, no matter how much good we do, we should always be on guard for the potential for failure. We should always be careful to avoid sin. At any minute, the most pious person, despite how many years of worship, in this case 60 years of straight worship in isolation, in any moment, the most pious person can be approached with a challenge and can fail even the most simple of tests. That any, you know, any, any uh, standard human being in the whole society would know that this is something that you don't engage in, but subhanAllah, that's the way it was written. The person engaged in this circumstance and was tried. Number two, the importance of avoiding sin. The battle lies in avoiding sin. Number three, the importance of recognizing that when we find ourselves in a circumstance where we're doing something that we know we shouldn't do, behaving in a way that we shouldn't behave in, that we change the environment in which we're in. We identify the mistake, we identify also the environment that leads to, leads to the mistake, and then alter that environment. And number four, how important and beneficial it is to have a concern for Allah's creation. Now, in this example, the concern was for a person on the right and the person on the left and the fact that he broke the loaf of bread and gave half to one and half to the other. But, of course, we have other examples in our deen of even just giving water to an animal. How, how beneficial to have a concern for all of Allah's creation. That there is a great power in that. And we should never, ever, ever lose sight of that. By the way, one more thing is coming to mind, so I'll share it. I was reading uh, something that one of the scholars was saying. Well, I read, I read something which I actually really felt was extreme. Extreme in the sense that I just said, like, oh, this is kind of a little bit extreme. But then it kind of hit me when I read another scholar saying it in, in another way. So that, anyway, they were saying that um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as you're aware, links uh, salah and zakah in the Qur'an in multiple places. And establish prayer and give zakah. And by the way, this linkage of these two actions together, um, this linkage of these two actions occurs dozens of times in the Qur'an. Dozens of times in the Qur'an. And so one of the scholars was saying that 
the acceptance of salah, again, I'm going to butcher this because, you know, I'm mixing two statements together, but just so you'll you understand the concept. The acceptance of salah is predicated on zakah. The acceptance of salah is predicated on zakah. Now, what they intended, you know, then I read another scholar further explaining this, so I'm just going to explain it in that way because it clicked a little better with me. So perhaps I may be biased, may Allah forgive me if I don't uh, share this properly. But essentially, what the scholar what the scholar was saying was that the the the, the the acceptance of salah spiritually, the acceptance of salah spiritually is predicated on the understanding of the need to effectuate that salah through having concern for others and distributing zakat. I've said it, I've said it in other talks in another way where I've said to you that, you know, the potential energy generated by acts of worship, I'm telling you now my physics science mind, that potential energy generated by acts of worship needs to be converted to the kinetics of good deeds. Right? I mean, that's the way I think because my mind is a little wired in that way. But anyway, my point here is that the, the, the potential energy generated by salah, a true salah, the way that it'll reflect itself, is that it'll be, it'll be converted into the kinetics of zakah. Right? The energy generated by salah will be converted into the kinetics of distribution of zakah. Otherwise stated, if a person's truly praying salah and is becoming conscious of Allah and uh, has an acceptance that allows them to spiritually become uplifted, then the indicator of that, the indicator of that is going to be, the, perf the next indicator will be the perfection in their zakah. Meaning that it's not possible, another way, stated another way, it's not possible that a person become deep in their salah without it being expressed in their zakah, which basically means like another way, say restated, when a person is deep in their worship and connected with Allah, it can't be that they'll exist except they have a concern for the creation of Allah. Because zakah is really what? Zakah is really concern for the creation of Allah. Right? It's, it, zakah, is, if you, it, zakah is like, uh, the, I, I mean, going into a whole other talk here, but, and we don't even have time. But anyway, these things are in my mind. Let me just share it. Zakah is like when you go to the teacher and say the night before the exam, give me this, can, do you have a study guide? Right? Study guide tells you roughly what's going to show up on the exam. So zakah is like, okay, yeah, Allah, you've given me this, my, my wealth. How can I at least make sure that I don't shoot myself in the foot? Right? What's the minimum that I have to do so that I don't shoot myself in the foot? So like I've mentioned in many talks before, zakah is like a huge blessing on the people who have been given wealth because it tells the people who have been given wealth what's the minimum that they have to do to pass this test. It doesn't tell you the maximum because the maximum is exemplified by the Prophet The maximum exemplified by the Prophet What was the Prophet Again, I'm going into another talk. What was the Prophet habit? And the Prophet wouldn't sit on a dirham for a night you know the circumstance where the Prophet ﷺ prayed prayer once and he got up and he ran to his home and people were concerned. Why is the Prophet ﷺ immediately rushing to his house? He says, I remembered that I had a little bit of wealth in the house and I didn't want that any moment pass except that it be in the hands of someone else. Right? Now, what was that an indication of? That was an indication of the Prophet ﷺ would never miss an opportunity to please Allah. Right? Because that would be the ultimate, like, the fact that there's you know, uh, 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 just even a little bit of wealth in the home 
The fact that that's an opportunity to, be, to, to distribute something overwhelmed the prophesies on them because it was like one opportunity that could have been missed. There's another story, which maybe we'll do it next time, inshallah. But the point here I'm trying to make is that it can't be, let me just summate this whole, wrap up this whole thing here. It can't be that we are a people who want to claim Allah without wanting to claim concern for the creation of Allah. These two things, they, they, they go hand in hand. That's what I'm trying to say. These two things, they go hand in hand. Hand in hand. Just because we, you know, we, we, we become pious and we come to the masjid and now we basically say like, okay, so I'm praying, so my concern is me. You know, Allah's, I'm somehow now I'm in some reward and that becomes a way by which I justify my wealth and justify my lifestyle. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. This is not a place of reward. This is a place of test. If we've been given excess, yes, there's room for us to be able to enjoy that excess, but there's responsibility, the minimum of which is zakah, the maximum of which is for a person to give away all their wealth, as was the example of Rasulullah Like the Prophet circumstance. Again, I'll do this, maybe we'll talk about this next time. I don't know if we'll talk about this next time. I don't know what will be on my head on that time. But anyway, there was a, the Prophet you know, on one occasion he passed by Uhud. When he passed by Uhud, he said, if I had, if I had a mountain of gold the size of Uhud, if I had a mountain of gold the size of Uhud, then I would distribute it within three days. I would distribute it within three days. Now, <laughs> we all do this, by the way. If I was Bill Gates, <laughs> then I would, or Bill Gates, or who would, Elon Musk, or these people, you know. If I was a billionaire, if I was a billionaire, <laughs> then I would ABC. None of us are going to do any of that. If we were billionaires, we would be trapped in a billion problems. But subhanAllah, I mean, this is the veracity of the Prophet Well, it actually shows up later, again, in the seerah, you know, there is an example where there's a tremendous amount of wealth came before the Prophet and he just distributed it so, so fast that it was shocking. In fact, uh, one person said that this is a sign he's a true messenger, the, the rapidity with which he distributed that wealth. But anyway, the point, that he, the point made here is that the Prophet saw, took advantage of every opportunity. So that's the maximum extreme. My simple message here from this story in particular is that there has to be a concern for others if a person is truly advancing in their deen. We're very, I mean, we have a concern, oh, we, we want to build masajid. <laughs> so then we build these nice, beautiful masajids, which we use. <laughs> we don't want anyone else coming here and messing it up. You know, if they come and mess it up, then we say, where did these people come from? So, you know, this is the extent of our concern for others. Alhamdulillah, we build the house of Allah, may Allah SWT accept it. But I'm just saying, like, that deep core concern, we actually go out there and seek, you know, where are people in need? Where, are, where, where can I make a contribution? How can I earn my jannah? I mean, the, I mean, Come on, when we're looking for a job or we're looking for something, don't we go out there and seek? We go tap every person and say, brother, where do you work? Oh, do you have any connection? I'm trying to get a job there. We start picking up our, uh, nobody uses a Rolodex anymore. What do you, the cell phone. You have the whole directory of the world and the cell phone. Then we start LinkedIn this, LinkedIn that. You know, here's my dunya. I need this and that. I need this uh, job. I need this. Uh, how can, or, or I'm, let me find out a good person I can invest with. We go and start searching and searching and we start finding all these things and asking people questions. But that same thing should exist for our concern for others. Sahaba exemplified this in so many instances. So many instances they would go out, they would look for opportunities, they would seek out the circumstances, they would find those people in need, and they would use those circumstances to avail themselves of Allah's unique mercy that's associated with concern for others. So simple summary is that all of us 
should add to our repertoire. Alhamdulillah, we're in the masjid. We should add to our repertoire of good deeds, the concern for others, because it can be exceedingly heavy on the scale. It can be exceedingly heavy on the scale, even in the face of the mistakes that we make. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are able to worship Him. May He make us amongst those who are able to avoid sin. May He make us amongst those who are able to identify our sins and avoid the environment of those sins. May He make us amongst those who have a concern for others and who share what He's blessed us with and uh, with others. Wa akhirat da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.